Hi, this is Kev Legs Walker, and you are about to hear a podcast of an interview that appeared on Shades of Blues here on The Cat. And there will be plenty more as we delve into the archives. Sit back and enjoy. Let's jump forward to 1979 then, when you formed the Blues Band. Now, one thing that has puzzled me all these years is that nobody else had actually used the name the Blues Band before. No, as a matter of fact, I didn't want to use the name the Blues Band. After all, I knew about the Muddy Waters Blues Band. (laughs) I knew about this and that Blues Band, and I thought... It's a bit sort of grandiose to call it the blues band. Do you know, I, I, I came up with a name that I wanted to call it because we'd got together in a kind of very haphazard way. I telephoned Tom McGuinness and said, look, I'm putting a band together. Are you interested? And he was. And I said, well, who should we get next? And he said, let's get Huey Flint because they'd been in McGuinness Flint together and uh, they'd, they'd had their differences but Tom was keen to mend bridges with Huey and so that happened and that was good and then getting Dave Kelly in was a bit of an accident really and then Dave brought Gary Fletcher with him so it was uh, it wasn't a hand-picked band it just kind of came together and uh, I said oh I've got the perfect name for this band we're going to call it Job Lot. <laughs> and I still think that would have been a great name because it was punk. It was punk days, you see. Yeah, yeah. Like 1979. I mean, well, 76, 77, it really got going, didn't it? But but it was still, it was still the music of the youth. And so I thought Job Lot would be a sort of really good name. Yeah. And... For a band. Uh, and everyone said, that's a rubbish name. We're calling it the Blues Band. So I said, oh, all right, we'll call it the Blues Band. Because um, they were all big fans, uh, and me too, of the band. Yeah. And, you know, nobody said to the band, how, uh, how sort of arrogant and outrageous. There's all these wonderful bands in the world, and you call yourself the band. So we called ourselves the Blues Band, and actually, as far as I remember, no one accused us of being arrogant and outrageous. You'll have to refresh my memory, because the weekend for me was a bit hazy, but did you appear at the very first Great British Blues Festival at Colne? No, I can't refresh your memory on that one. I I don't know. Mm. Um, we, we We certainly did the Blues Festival at Colne, uh, and more than once too, but whether it was the first one or the second or the umpteenth, I have no idea. Yeah. I was going to a lot of festivals in those days and they just seemed to merge a little bit. But uh, I would have thought with it being the first one and the blues band being so revered at the time that it was almost inevitable that you would have been there. Great. <laughs> I mean, it's nice to think that we were revered. Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, I've seen you a few times over the years. I saw you at Bottlewind Castle many, many moons ago. I saw you recently at the New Vic Theatre in Newcastle. And you, oh, had, yes. you had a stand-in drummer there, which was Dave Kelly's son. Yes. And the, the look on Dave's face when 
there was a little drum riff going on. He, he was looking across like a proud parent. It was a joy yes. to behold. <laughs> he does. Um, he, he does values his son Sam very much, and quite rightly so. Uh, yeah, it's good. It's lovely to see that proud, proud dad. <laughs> On my other show, I have a feature called The Beatles Bit, where I play people covering Beatles tunes. And over the years, there have been a number of blues versions of Beatles songs, and they work quite well. But you do a version of a Bee Gees song, don't you? Ah, uh, yes. Well, that was Dave's idea, and, and uh, I think there were some eyebrows raised when he mooted it. Well, but, well uh... when he introduced it, my eyebrows raised, but it works. Yes, well, apparently, I didn't know this, but apparently uh, they actually wrote the song for Otis Redding. Wow. And um, Otis actually was going to do it, but of course he was in that awful air crash. Mm. Actually, there, there is a sort of extra little irony about that. Apparently, the, the title song from the, the film Privilege had been slated for an Otis Redding session shortly after that fatal air crash right. as well. Mm. And uh, that, that would have been lovely uh, for me. <laughs> but so w w when Dave read that To Love Somebody was actually originally intended for Otis Redding, he thought, oh, imagine, imagine what that would have sounded like. And then he just started to play it with an acoustic guitar just for himself. And he thought, we can do that. And we were having some rehearsals, and he started doing it. And we stood there, and we said, yep, we're going to do it. Yeah. And I think it works extremely well. I very much enjoy doing the, um, the backing vocals on it as well. It is a surprise, but it does work really well. This tour that you've done is the farewell tour. You're saying goodbye to the blues band. Is that purely touring or recording as well? Um, I, I think the idea is that uh, we really come to an end as a band. I think this, I think this album is so good that there might be something going on sometime in the future, but I don't know. I mean, we've put out good albums before, and then it's been four years before we did the one after it. Mm. So, um, hey, who knows? Yeah, never say uh, never. I, I, do, I do think this is a, a fine album to be finishing up with. Yeah. But you are still continuing with the Manfred, sir. Yeah, I'm not retiring. Of course, the first thing that uh, we had was a lot of um, letters from people saying, oh, dear, it's awful, it's very sad, um, but I hope you enjoy your retirement. And that, that word is not in my dictionary. It's not in my vocabulary. I will not retire. No. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going on with the Manfreds, and... Uh, I'm going on with lots of other projects as well. Hey, 42 years, or yeah, I think it's 43 now, 43 years is enough, really, for one band. Well, yeah. I mean, how long did the Yardbirds last with Eric Clapton in it? <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. And, 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 and for that matter, how long did Derek and the Dominoes last? <laughs> <laughs> well, talking of Eric Clapton, that... Brings me, let's go back in time to 2009, the album starting all over again. That featured Eric Clapton and Percy Sledge, amongst other people. Um, yes. 
did you ask them or were they just in the vicinity at the time? <laughs> well, let's let's um, put the Percy Sledge one first because actually that was a, uh, that was a session musician job for me. Um, this uh, lovely chap called Saul Davis, who lives in um, sort of Beverly Hills somewhere, um, uh, and and is a, a kind of fan of Manfred's blues band, me, Tom McGuinness, uh, uh, etc., lots of things, and of Percy Sledge, was producing a Percy Sledge album. He, he rang me up and he said, would you come and play some harmonica on uh, at least one track of this Percy Sledge album I'm producing? So I said, I'd love to. So he paid my relatively cheap airfare. <laughs> And uh, I turned up in Los Angeles and played on this Percy Sledge record. There were great sessions because Saul does book really, really good musicians. So it was a fine band. And the great Phil Upchurch was on guitar, I remember. And I've got a lovely photograph from the session. And I'm thinking, I'm really keeping some good company now. (laughs) (laughs) And while I was there... Saul Davis said, why don't you do a duet with Percy on this record? So I said, well, it, it sort of depends on what Percy thinks, doesn't it? And he said, yeah, but he's up for it. And he was doing this song, Big Blue Diamonds, which was a hit by some fairly obscure outfit from a long time ago. I thought, oh, that's lovely. I, I, I'll, I'll sing that with him. So I did. And it came out on that Percy Sledge album, which I think is called Shining Through the Rain. And uh, when we were putting together, starting all over again, um, I thought the album was like one track short. And I said to Saul, do you think Percy and his record company would allow us to borrow that track and put it on my album? And uh, he said, let's ask. And we did ask, and Percy said it was okay. And so it came, it turned up on my album as well. That's why there's a track featuring Percy Sledge, as if he were my guest. But actually, the truth was, I was his guest. Right. As for Eric, um, not long before that, I had been on a live gig um, with a band led by Gary Brooker, whom we now mourn because he died a few months ago. Mm Mm-hmm. So sad. Wonderful artist. Anyway, um, Gary had this band, and um, it was kind of a a lot of the personnel from Bill Wyman's Rhythm Kings. And some of the the guests were, oh, I I remember, um, I think definitely Leo Sayer was on it, and there were various other people as well. But Eric Clapton was there, and I was there. And... uh, we we did various things, you know, in different permutations. And uh, I'd recorded with Eric in 1966. He said to me on that occasion, he said, uh, I said, oh, you don't want me to play on this. He said, I want you to play on this. It was something he was doing. He said, I do want you to play on this. You don't seem to realize I'm a fan. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought, that's great. I filed it away and... Um, I don't know, whatever it was, three or four years later, I, I, I rang him and I said, look, I'm doing 
my first album for 38 years. Um, and uh, I'd so love it if you'd come and play on a couple of things. And so, you know, we sent him some tracks and he picked these two. And uh, he came and played on the title track of the album, which was an old, a uh, wonderful old hit from uh, the early 70s, I think, starting all over again. I'd also done a song called Choose or Cop Out, inspired by a book I'd recently read. I said, I'd love it if you'd play on that too. So he played on that, and it's wonderful. I mean, his playing on it is just superb. Um, is it still the case that you are the president of the National Harmonica League? Ah, uh, yes and no. I am still the president, but it is no longer called the National Harmonica League. Um, they decided to modernise the name. It's called Harmonica UK. Ah, short and catchy. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so, yes, I'm, I'm, I am the president. Uh, um, there are sort of, ooh, there are patrons and vice president and all kinds of other people, but I am still the president. Right. Um, and, and delighted to be. You also contributed a set of questions to Mastermind. <laughs> I did, yes. Was that about blues? It was about harmonica, um, blues harmonica. Right. That was, um, the guy, they, they said, what is your special subject? And he said, blues harmonica. And they said, that's a bit, that's a bit sort of wide. Could you, um, could you narrow it a bit? And he said, well, what do you think? And they said, well, well I mean, what about, um, what about narrowing down the, the time frame? And he said, oh, I see. Well, yeah, okay. And he said, uh, a blues harmonica from 1930 to 1960 or something like that. Well, that was great, but 1930 was a really lousy year for blues generally because it, it was the year after 1929. It was the great stock market crash, and record companies were not um, spending much money on anybody who wasn't absolutely guaranteed to sell a million copies of something. So uh, that, that was a bad year, especially for harmonica players, and it stayed bad for a little while. And um, I, I, I did my best to come up with, and they said, we need the questions in three categories, easy, medium, and difficult. So I said, okay, and I, I, I made them 30 questions, 10 in each of those categories. Mm. and the guy didn't do very well. And he actually wrote to me, whether it was at Jazz FM or Radio 2, I can't remember, but he wrote to me and said, why didn't you ask me any questions about... And then he named, he named a load of harmonica players from the 20s. And I said, well, unfortunately for you, none of those musicians recorded in the 30s. I think Tammy Nixon did, and possibly Noah Lewis, but all those guys like Bullet Williams and Jay Bird Coleman and Alfred Bird Legs, whatever his name is, it, uh, those guys recorded in the 20s and didn't get into a studio in the 30s. I'm sorry, I couldn't ask you any questions about them because they vanished from sight. They, the fact that they weren't in a studio anywhere is in a way neither here nor there, but it does mean that we never heard anything from them in that period of time. So, uh, unfortunately, you signed your own 
um, <laughs> failure warrant <laughs> by choosing uh, that, that, that. If you had said from 1940 to 1970, I could have given you so many questions. <laughs> Over the course of the years with broadcasting, uh, meeting and playing with people, have you become a bit of a historian? Uh, I don't really think so. I, I used to have that kind of reputation slightly because I would always have some facts at my fingertips regarding whatever track I was about to play or just had played. But the truth of the matter is I <laughs> I had the, the booklet notes or, or, or I had, you know, um, who's who in the blues yeah. or some of the most important encyclopedias or dictionaries or I discographies. Have, I have said on many an occasion, if it's not written down, I know nothing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but of all the people that you have met, performed with or interviewed, which one gave you the biggest thrill? Um, I have to say Memphis Slim, because Memphis Slim was absolutely a giant in, in fact, physically he was, because he was well over six feet, probably about six three, I think. Um, but also musically a giant. And uh, he stretched from the late 30s right up to, I would say, the late 80s. Quite an achievement. And made some wonderful records. And I got to, I got to make one of those records with him live at Ronnie Scott's Club in London. But he was also the very first person that I ever interviewed. And I interviewed him when I was still a student at Oxford. And I must tell you, I only lasted for one year, so I must have been very young. <laughs> but um, he, was, he was fascinating, and I always, uh, always admired him enormously. Um, yeah, I, I, I got to know and like a lot of other people. Um, I think if I go right the way through to some of the latest interviews that I did. Uh, the one with Taj Mahal and Keb Mo, both together when they came out with that mm. joint album, uh, that was a great joy for me. We, we laughed a lot, and a lot of that got cut. <laughs> <laughs> but it was wonderful fun. Yeah, I, I would love to interview either of those people, and I keep trying, but uh, one day their defences might fall. Yeah. Um, it's been an absolute joy. I'm looking at the clock now and how long we've been chatting and time has just flown and there's still questions I would love to ask you, but thank you so much for taking this time out. And uh, I wish you all the best for the... I was going to say your retirement, but it's not your retirement. You are still going strong. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you very much. It, it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, maybe we can do it again sometime. Yeah, well, me too. Um, just before I go, why are you called Legs? Oh, I used to be in a band many, many moons ago. Oh, right. The vocalist was introducing the members of the band at the end of the night, and he said, and on bass, kept Legs Walker. And we'd not <laughs> we'd not discussed it beforehand, and I thought, well, it could be worse. So yeah, yeah. I've had that okay. for about 30 that really, years now. Yeah, yeah, I should have realised that, shouldn't I? <laughs> anyway, bless you. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute joy. And I hope you enjoyed that little interview there. And there will be more as we record more for the show. And we are going to delve into the archives and pull some of the old ones out as well. So plenty more to come. And of course, 
If you want to hear the whole show, there is always Listen Again. I'll see you next time. Take care.